Look in your home. Look in your office. Look in your home office. Everywhere you turn, there's so much smart. At Capella University, we think education should be smart too. Our game-changing FlexPath format puts you in control of your master's degree, so you can learn how, when, and where you want. Smart, huh? Yeah, we think so too. So if you want to take the next step in your career, make Capella your first step. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter. We are grateful to have our friends at Sleep Number sponsoring the Thrive Global podcast. The Sleep Number bed adjusts on each side, so it is perfect for both you and your partner. Experience the Sleep Number bed exclusively at one of their 550 stores nationwide. Check them out at sleepnumber.com slash thrive. Hello and welcome to the Thrive Global podcast on iHeartRadio. My guest today is media and cultural icon, Gail King. She's the co-host of CBS This Morning, editor-at-large of Oprah. She's been a journalist and broadcast and print for over 25 years. And she's also an Emmy winner. And she's an amazing friend. And she's the mother of Kirby and Will. And Two amazing children. Amazing you forgot that children. part. Amazing children. And, of course, she, whom she refers to as my favorite, favorite son and favorite, favorite daughter. daughter. Yeah. And, um, and they're absolutely central to her life, which I love because my kids... You know that, too. You know that feeling. ...are absolutely central to my life. But I only have two favorite daughters, no favorite yeah. sons. Yeah, so you have a favorite older daughter and you have a favorite, favorite younger, younger daughter. daughter. That's how that works. <laughs> So, Gail, um, I'm so happy you could be here. Me too. Welcome to Me too. Thank our you. podcast. And I went back to this interview that you did with me at the Paley Center, right oh. before Thrive was yes. published. I forgot about that. And it that. was actually the first interview I did, which was like the transition from everybody only asking me about media and politics yes. to asking me about thriving and how oh do you gosh, live Ariana, your best I life. I forgot about that. Yes. And... Um, in asking me about my story of collapsing from exhaustion, yes. you told the audience this amazing story of what happened one morning when you were completely frenetic and trying to get everything done, and you were trying to put a pair of spanks, spanks on. on. Yep. Would you tell that story? <laughs> yes, and I, I love it. And I kept thinking, because normally, as you know, when you're putting on spanks, you're buck naked. So here I am in my bedroom putting on the spanks, and, you know, they require a little bit of pulling and tugging. And I was pulling and tugging and, and fell while I was putting them on. And I kept thinking, if I had fallen and hit my head and I would have been knocked out unconscious, somebody would have come into my home, seen me with these spanks below my ankles, buck naked, thinking, what is the freaky deaky stuff going on here? <laughs> and I've never, ever forgotten that. I've never forgotten, you know, how quickly, Ariana, life can change in a second. You know, I had a story recently um, in my apartment building. I live on the Upper West Side. And when you go on my floor, when you open the elevator, I have the whole floor. So when you open the elevator, you're not in my apartment, but you're in the hallway. And I had taken a bath, as one does in the morning. And I said, oh, you know, because there's nobody up there, I'll run and get the elevator so it can start coming. I was buck naked again. I don't know what that is. <laughs> the door slammed shut. Uh. And I'm thinking, okay. It just so happens that I'd unlocked the door because Kirby was in town, and so I had the lock off. But it got me thinking, what would I have done? <laughs> just think about that. What would I have done if the door was not unlocked? I'd have to go down in the elevator, 
where they have security cameras. And can you imagine the doorman's <laughs> face where you come out, you're trying to cover up, help. And, I, and to this day, I, I just, I, I do a lot of what would have happened if questions. <laughs> So I'm happy to say that I spared myself and the doorman the humiliation. <laughs> I think what you would probably have done is taken a selfie of yourself and posted it on Instagram <laughs> because that's one of the most amazing things about you, which is that you're always so authentic and so willing to be vulnerable about your own journey, well, whether it's yeah. losing weight or yeah. dealing with a frenetic life or dealing yes. with having to get up at the crack of dawn. So how do you do that? Because... More and more of us are basically tired of this idea that you have to always present this polished perfection. <laughs> well, because we know that that's not realistic, and, and you know this too. And, and I just feel that people say, I can't believe that you show your weight. I can't believe that you tell your age. And I think, number one, I'm so happy to be on the planet. I'm so happy to be on the planet doing the job that I do. And as far as weight, I think people have eyes. You know, they, they, it's it's not like it's something you could lie about. They have eyes, although it's interesting that Donald Trump, the doctor, said he was 239 pounds. And I think that's interesting, just one pound away from obesity, but he's 239 <laughs> pounds. OK, so, I mean, I just don't see any point in sugarcoating things. And I think so many people think that you have to present this picture that life is perfect and life is fine. And I just don't think that that's a reality. I don't. You know, life has a lot of warts and ups and downs, and I try not to overshare. But I think that my life is pretty typical of what a lot of people go through. And right now, especially when we look at the data around mental health and uh, teenagers, we see depression and anxiety going up, suicides going up. And there is a correlation between our addiction to social media and the fact that most people present a very filtered view of their lives, the kind of highlight reel. So what do you think we can do to help, especially the younger generation coming sort of behind us, millennials Mm -hmm. and even younger, Mm -hmm. navigate Mm -hmm. that growing addiction to social media and our devices. Well, it drives me crazy when I hear young people saying, I'm building my brand. I'm concentrating (laughs) on my brand. How many likes do I have? I just think you need to concentrate on being a good person and doing a good job rather than trying to figure out a way how to build a brand for yourself. I think even the people at Facebook are rethinking how they're running the company because they really do want Facebook to be used as a force for good. And I think even they're, they're starting to realize What can we do that people don't get addicted to it, number one, and don't feel depressed and lonely because of it? Because if everybody was living the life that they present on Facebook and Instagram, you just know that that is not reality. And I think more and more people are starting to realize that's not attainable and it's not true. So let's talk about your relationship to your phone. To my phone. I know it's bad. Are you you sleeping together? Yes. You are. Yeah. Don't you think it's time to A couple up? of us are sleeping together. It's like a menage a trois with me and my phone. Oh, two phones. Yes. And yes, um, I still have the BlackBerry. Yes. yes, I'm proud of that. And I still you have, have the, the BlackBerry iPhone. for security. I like it because I like having the keyboard. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I have a keyboard on my iPhone. I know. But that seems like you have to pull it down or. No, not at all. I'll show you. It's after. longer. I'll show you after the podcast. It's long. I'm just so used to this. But I know you're not supposed to sleep with it. I realize that. But it's the first thing I reach for in the morning. You know, I only have to go like this. This is me, listeners, hitting the side of the bed with 
you know, before I even, you know, the TV is on and I'm padding for the phone. But the TV is on because you turn it on the minute you wake up? Yes, yeah. You know, I have a TV in every single room of my house. Yes. I walk in and, number one, I'm a news junkie. So even if I wasn't in the news business, I've always really liked the news. Right. So I have it on the minute I walk in the house, I turn it on. I like knowing what's going on. And in the the morning, you wake up, and the first thing you do is you turn on the TV or you reach for your phone? Turn on the TV. Turn on the TV, then reach for For your phone. For sure, yeah. And in the middle of the night, I know you don't have a lot of hours to sleep. We'll talk about that in a minute. But in the middle of the night, if you wake up to go to the bathroom or for whatever reason, are you tempted? No, I don't. No. No. Because I'm thinking anybody that's reaching out to me at 2 or 3 in the morning, there's nothing I can do about it anyway. So I don't feel this need to check when I go to pee. I just think peeing should be neat and clean, get in and out. (laughs) And I don't want to get distracted by trying to figure out if there's an email I have to answer. But it is funny. People will say to me, Ariana, I got an email from you at 3 o'clock in the morning. I got an email at 4 o'clock. Well, I was up. I'm up. I don't even think of the hours as so unusual because that's what time my day starts. Right. But I always marvel at how many times people say, I can't believe that you were emailing at four in the morning. I go, I've been up for about an hour by then. Because you do get up at three in the morning. Yeah, my alarm goes off at 3.22. Yes. I know exactly that. Mm-hmm. 3.22, and I have two alarms just to make sure. 3.22 and another one goes off at 3.45. So I can catch the news right at 3.30. So 3.22, then it goes off at 3.45, and the car is at my house at 4.30. So what do you do from 3.45 to 4.30? So, you know, we have homework. I've looked at the homework the night before, checking emails to see if anything has changed, uh, looking at the news and reading things online to see what's going on and to see if our rundown, the format of the show, if it's changed from the time I got the research the night before to the morning. So then you get in the car and then you do do hair and makeup. Yeah, which is the transformation process. It, it is a transformation you. process. Let me just say something. I have seen you with no hair and makeup, and you look amazing. No, that's with not or true. Without. This look is at totally Ariana true. Huffington. Liar, liar, pants on no, fire. No, that is totally liar, true. Liar, liar, pants on fire. I, and I've you been even in stores. post pictures of yourself without hair and because makeup. Because I, I don't have the hang-up about that. You know, my mother used to say, my mother um, died in 1994, but she used to say to me, you should never go out of the house without your makeup done, which I just think is crazy. Mom, I'm just going to the store to get some Frosted Flakes or I'm going to the store to get a banana. I'm just not going to do all of that to run into the store. But, you know, I've been out publicly to show you what a liar, liar, pants on fire your host, Ariana Huffington is. (laughs) It's A-R. Anyway, somebody said to me, I was talking, they said, you sound like Gail King. And I said, yes, I am Gail King. And then she said, are you in disguise? (laughs) No, this is my face. This is my natural beauty. And she goes, Oh, you look so pretty. I go, that is not what you were thinking when you said, are you in disguise? So that's why I said to Ariana, no, people don't think, oh, you look so good. You've seen people without makeup and you go, whoa, I'm one of those. Whoa. No, you're not. And guys, if you give me lashes, please. If you don't believe me, please go to Gail's Instagram. Yeah. And and look at the pictures of her in Hawaii. Yes. um, Cavorting in the sea with her children. And you'll see exactly what I mean. Cavorting in the sea. We did go to Mykonos. We were cavorting in the sea. You're cavorting in the Greek seas. But you know, this is the thing, Ariana. When I was coming up, I'm sure you know. Jane Kennedy. You know the name Jane Kennedy? She was like the Halle Berry of my time, where you just thought this gorgeous, beautiful black woman. And I realized I had to be maybe mid-30s, I guess, 
that I was not going to be Jane Kennedy, that there's always, always going to be somebody who's prettier, smarter, richer, thinner, all of that good stuff. And you just have to get to the point where you really are okay with yourself. And so that's why I don't have hangups about posting pictures of myself where I may not look the best. You know, people say, God, I can't believe you put that picture up. I mean, I don't have hangups about that because I know that, you know, when you're all pulled together, I think I look okay. But I know there's always going to be somebody that looks better. But as long as you feel good and comfortable in your own skin, and I really do, at this stage of my life, I do feel very comfortable in my own skin. I'm okay. And don't you think that age helps with that? Yes. As we grow older. Yes. Uh, it's one of the things sure. that is easier, that yes. we do get more comfortable in our own skin. And neither of us is ever going to go into plastic surgery, yes. which yes. is the one problem with people who think they can defy aging. I, I'd be afraid to do anything on my face because I think that it could, what if it goes wrong? Then there you are. And it often does. Yeah. I mean, much more yes, often than we realize. Yes. yes, yes. Speaking of posting pictures that are unfiltered, yeah. I loved what you did posting pictures with Oprah before yeah. the great award that she received and the preparations oh, yeah. and getting her hair at done. the Golden and, Globes, yeah. Yeah, before, before the big kind of reveal at the yeah. Golden Globes, all the pictures at her home in Santa Barbara yes. getting ready. This was that so was wonderful. Yes. It was exciting. It was two girlfriends sharing mm-hmm. the moments before the big event. Yeah. You being nervous for her, I her was. talking about coloring her hair. Yeah. And uh, I just love that. I think it's teaching people so much about what it is to live an authentic life. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and I think the one area that, as you know, I have been on to you for a long time is mm-hmm. sleep. Yeah, and I know. I know you have this job, which makes it hard. Yeah. But the last time we talked, you had told me that um, you had gotten three hours and 46 minutes yeah. of sleep the yeah. night before and called yourself a hot mess when it comes to sleeping. Yes. Have things improved? Not really. You know, this has been a crazy week. After the Golden Globes, no, after the Grammys, the Grammys were Sunday. I know that it all runs together. The Grammys were Sunday. So you get off the air at 11-something, you get home. I got maybe two hours and something of sleep. after. I just want to tell you the week I've had, just to give you some perspective. You get off the Grammys, you get up to do the show. Immediately after the show, I flew to Chicago to interview Chance the Rapper because he was doing um, this program that he wanted me to see. They wouldn't give me the day off the next day. They would not. Yes, and I that's because you're so good. They can't do the show without you. Well, that's not true, but they wouldn't give me the day off. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to be 63 and ask for vacation, and they say no. But anyway, <laughs> so I flew to Chicago, flew in and out uh, to do chants. So that's two nights in a row. You don't get home till after midnight to get in. The next day, had to do the show. Had an interview with Elton John because CBS is doing a big special on him in conjunction with the Grammys. This was the only time that Elton could do the interview, so... I'm working around Sir Elton's schedule. I don't know why, Ariana, he's not working around mine. So did the interview with Sir Elton John, who I love, 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 and you know, he announced his retirement, so we were doing that. Then that night was the State of the Union, which means you're on the air. We were told you're going to be on the air till 11, till 11. So that's three nights in a row, and I, I don't nap. One night I got, I said, I, I actually thought about you because one night I got two hours and 37 minutes. And then the next day I got three hours and 48 minutes. So by the next day, I was like, 
you know, where your body is so out of whack. I could physically feel it in my body. So I went home after um, the State of the Union. I did Dr. Oz on Wednesday. But that night, I got seven hours and 17 minutes. And I said, Ariana would be so proud of me. And didn't you feel amazing? I did. When I came into work on Thursday, because Thursday is normally my worst day, I said, I can't believe it, guys. I got seven hours and 17 minutes. Because I went home and I was in bed by 8 o'clock. And it just, it, it is amazing how good you feel with sleep. I didn't even know that life was like this on Thursdays. Thursday's normally my worst day. So I am glad I can say that to you. But normally, we had a sleep guy on, Dr. Walker. I think it's interesting, a guy who specializes in sleep, his last name is Walker, Dr. Sleepwalker. We had him on, and for three days, we had to keep track of our sleeping schedules. And um, Nora and John... Average six hours. My average was four hours and thirty two minutes. So and, clearly, and, I, I have and some on work a to day do. when you have very little sleep, yeah. How do you feel? First of all, do you crave more bad things to eat? Because the science says that when we are sleep deprived, we are more likely to crave sugars and carbs. I know that that's true, but you know, I'm on Weight Watchers, so I really am pretty diligent about that. Yeah, about keeping track of my um, points. So even if I crave something, I'm very conscious of that. Yeah. Oh, sometimes I do it, but I'm just saying I, I pay attention to it. And have you ever really tried to get a nap? <laughs> yeah, but you know, uh, the night of the State of the Union, I said I thought because I'd had two days from hell in terms of sleep, let me go home and try to take a nap. And I got home, and I was so terrified of sleeping through it that I just sort of lay in the bed like this. <laughs> I was I was actually very nervous because can you imagine if after Elton's interview, I said, well, I could maybe go home for an hour. I went home. But you know where you get to the point where you're so tired that you really should just plow through because if you if you do take a nap, you won't wake back up. And I just envisioned myself going, uh, I overslept. I just never want to do that. No, I don't think you'll ever do that. You uh, don't? No, I don't believe that. I, I haven't. In the six years that we've been on yes. the show, I never have. No, I don't think that will happen. I think what you maybe need, and I'll get you some, is some sleep meditation. Drugs? No, sleep meditation oh. so that you can lie there and not try to sleep. Trying to sleep is the worst thing. Yeah. You just lie there and listen to this meditation that relaxes your music? whole body. It's music and words. I have oh, tons of them. Okay. You can experiment like and see which one you like. I and, would like uh, that. And then it will relax you and may just send you to sleep. And even if you get a 20-minute sleep, that's all scientific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can wake up recharged, even with 20 minutes sleep. So you just, you lay in the bed you and you listen to something? You listen to something relaxing. You know, okay. just a sleep meditation that kind of often walks you through your body, relaxes your whole body, relaxes your mind. And if you very if you sleep fine, if you don't, you still get out of bed yeah. and relax. Okay. And let's try that, okay? Because you know, you you're like my big project. No, you know? I know I'm your project. <laughs> I always wanted to be a project. I have two meditation apps because I did start meditating. Um, Bob Roth took me as a as a yes. customer, a client. <laughs> So, you know, he was giving me the tools and, you know, my favorite son, Will, works at Headspace, which is a big meditation place. I know. Have you started using So I have my Headspace meditation app and I have to say, but I have such a hard time, Ariana, quieting my mind. Yes, I understand that. So I would like to try the sleep. I would like to try that. All I can say is that when I find that when my mind quietens and I can go to a deeper place, which I know you know exists. Yes. That place of. 
I do know that. strength and wisdom that we occasionally connect yes, with. Yes, I do know Everything that. is better. Okay. I don't think we're less effective. We're more effective. All right, I'm game. Okay, we're now going to take a quick break to share a sleep tip brought to you by our sponsor, Sleep Number, because a good sleep routine is the foundation for thriving. Today's sleep tip is to create a gratitude list. It's a great way to focus your mind on the good things in your life, big and small, rather than on the running list of unresolved problems that seem to take center stage once our head hits the pillow. Before bed, write a list with pen and paper of what you're grateful for. It's an easy way to make sure your blessings get the closing scene of the night and shifts the spotlight onto the good things in our lives. And recent studies have shown that this type of gratitude exercise will help you reduce stress and sleep better. There is something to be grateful for. The sleep tip was brought to you by Sleep Number, the bed that adjusts to you. Discover the future of sleep at sleepnumber.com slash In a recent New York Times piece, there was the phrase inattentional blindness, which is people paying attention to their phones to the exclusion of the people around them. I have never seen you do that. Here's what is interesting. Even though you're Mm hyper-connected with technology, with the news, Mm -hmm. with what you're doing, Mm -hmm. you're unbelievably present when Mm -hmm. you talk with people. Mm -hmm. What's that gift? Because I think it's rude. (laughs) So I try never, if I'm having a conversation with someone, it's different if sometimes you think, well, I got to answer this email very quickly. But I try not to, if I'm talking to somebody, be on the telephone. I do try not to do that. Have you ever done a digital it, detox? No. Nope. And I don't want to, and you can't make me. <laughs> I mean, just like, oh, no. you do in a way. Like when you have a meal. Let's say you're having a meal with Will and Kirby. Yeah. Favorite son and favorite daughter people, yeah. in case you forgot the name. Yes. Um, you don't look at your phone. Sometimes I do. What about the kids? Mm, yep, sometimes they do. I mean, we have to say, when they were in... Seventh and eighth, they, eighth grade, they were doing a story about crackberry addictions. And I said, wow, that's something. And they said, Mom, you should take notes, you know, because you don't realize how much you're on it. So so we launched an app uh, where you called, can put your phone in Thrive mode. Mm-hmm. It's called a Thrive app uh-huh. for a specified period of time, let's say over dinner. Uh-huh. And then if I text you, I would get a text back that says Gail is in thrive mode until such and such oh, a time. Wow. So it's bi-directional. And so you can put it on a certain time yes. zone. Oh, what, I like whatever that. Whatever time you want not to be reached. Yeah. But then anybody who is trying to reach you knows when you'll be available again. I think that's good. I and, think I need that. And also it gives you um, a mirror of all your social media consumption. Mm-hmm. You know, Someone's how much calling time... us. <laughs> Hello. You, <laughs> much, now you know they're just going to call back. <laughs> Actually, call. it's so funny that because last night I was at the um, Bruce Springsteen oh, play. play. Oh, my Have gosh. Ariana. It? Oh, my gosh. Unbe- unbelievable. He and takes you to a different place, doesn't he? Oh, it's so deep good. Place. It's so soulful yes. and powerful. Yes. And the man next to me, and we're in the third row, uh-huh. the man next to me, gets a call no okay you would have Did thought it ring? he would be drunk yes you would oh. you would think he would be embarrassed yes just like immediately don't tell just, me he answered no it. he answered it <gasps> while bruce was on stage yes did bruce say anything no 
I was ready. To, I'm surprised you didn't say anything. I was ready to say something, but I thought I would make more of a commotion. So you didn't say by anything? saying something, so I didn't say anything. And then... Did he talk? He talked. And you know, it is unbelievable. That's just sacrilegious. So it is sacrilegious, but it shows the extent to which this addiction has spread. But see, I don't know if I call that an addiction. I really do call that rude. You're in the theater. Regardless, listen, it's Bruce Springsteen, so that's a totally different thing. But regardless who's on stage, if your phone rings, number one, you should be mortified trying to figure out, oh, my God, how do I shut it off? But to take it and say hello, I never understand why when people pick it up and say, hello, I have to call you back, and then hang up. (laughs) I'm just thinking, just don't answer the friggin' phone or put it on ignore or or however you do it. But, you know, I think we need need an entire etiquette about phones. And if you think of it, phones really have been so all-pervasive only in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a very new Mm -hmm. uh, technology, relatively speaking, compared to human history. Yes, yes. So creating, like, guardrails and introducing them early on to our children is absolutely key. I think you're really onto something about an etiquette class about it because I think, and this was a grown man, so you know he knew better. Just the fact that he's in the theater in the third row, you said, not even in the back in the corner, <laughs> in the third row, which means Bruce can in see you. In the middle of the third oh row. Oh, my God. Yes, it was amazing. And I, I had to deal with my wanting to throttle him. Of course. <laughs> so who did you go to the play with, Ariana? We with all want to know. Oh, yes, absolutely. With my favorite date, my 26-year-old daughter, favorite younger daughter, <laughs> as Gail would say, Isabella. Isabella. Yes, yeah. my little, my little so the painter two of you daughter, went. the two yeah. of us. Yes, we had dinner and we went to the play. Where did you go to dinner? We went to Orso's. Oh, okay. Very convenient. Corner. So you could yes. walk. Yes. Even in heels. Yep. And then on, which you know, that's another thing you and I need to talk about, heels. Because you wear these gorgeous, sexy high heels. And I have ended all my high heels. Have you? And I'm down to this. Little have kitten you? Heels. She has little kitten heels, guys. Little kitten heels is the maximum, or flats. Really? I can't. Well, number one, I don't like flats. I have. I can't give them up yet. I can't. No, but can you just maybe wear them only for very special occasions? Yes. Well, work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, work, which is every day. But I, uh, but I have a pair of clogs. I'll put on clogs mm-hmm. uh, at work. I have, I have a bunch of clogs. But I still like them. And on top of that, I have bad knees. You should have seen me bitching to Yolanda, cause the, who, who's on Ariana's team, because there was a, a truck broke down on 55th Street where we're, we're taping. And I said to the driver, where is the building? Is it close to this side or is it the other end? He goes, it's in the middle, Miss King. In the middle! <laughs> but I knew we couldn't sit there because I could, you know, the clock was ticking, ticking, ticking. And I said, oh, my God, I'm going to have to gasp, get out and walk. And I didn't have any other shoes. Yes, you need so, to carry these little flats that yes, you can fall in your bag. I know, I know. But these are all the little tricks that women are kind of getting more used to. Because I find that we have a competitive disadvantage with men when it comes also, to dressing. Uh-huh. And since Thrive Global, you know, my new company, is all about reducing stress at every point. Every in facet our lives, of your life. Every facet of your life. Uh-huh. Dressing is a huge point of stress for women. So I have started I this campaign. Not okay, you go ahead. don't feel that, but you're an exception. Go ahead. I mean, I know from women my daughter's age to our age, 
you know, what are they going to wear for every occasion mm-hmm. becomes an issue. And it's mm-hmm. beyond how much money you yeah, have to spend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just finding the right thing, yeah. making sure it fits right, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So I've started this campaign, which I know you're not going to join, okay. but I will tell you about it, okay. called Hashtag Repeats. Oh, wear the same clothes twice. I don't have any problem with that. Not just twice, like multiple times. So if you go on my Instagram. What's your definition of multiple? Like multiple and even close to each other in terms of events. like That I won't do. Like, for example, (laughs) I posted a picture of myself at the Time 100 dinner. Yeah. And four days later, the White House correspondence dinner. No. Wearing the same dress. No. Yes, on Instagram, split I'm clutching my pearls. <laughs> See, I don't, I don't have any problem with the multiple uh, and wearing it uh, again and again. But this is so funny you should say this because going to the Grammys, I said to my assistant, when did I last wear this dress? <laughs> and he looked it up. He said, you wore it at the L'Oreal women's something. And I said, how long ago was that? He goes, two months ago. Oh, well, God, I can't wear it now for the Grammys. I got to find something else. Is that why you mean what you mean by stress? That's what I mean by stress. Yes. And even though in your case, you know, you change for the show. Yeah. You have like yeah, yeah. a whole professional wardrobe. Yeah. You probably have a stylist, you know, all those things. But for every woman who just, worries about what she's going to wear to her boyfriend's sister's engagement Engagement party party, or to the wedding she's going. It becomes like another additional source of stress that men don't have. Yeah, that is true. And another competitive disadvantage. I remember a a recent conference. I was interviewing Mark Cuban first and then a group of amazing women, Uh right? uh Mark Cuban arrived in his jeans and and a hoodie. And the amazing women arrived all looking amazing. Yes. And I thought, wow, how much time <laughs> yes. each one of us spent on yes. getting ready. Yes. So it's something for us to consider. I do take that. I do think about that. I also, though, Ariana, think that that comes also with age. You figure as long as you can find something that you think looks good on you. You know, there are certain events that you go to, like the Grammys. I was trying to think, you know, I want to have something that's age appropriate. You don't want to look like you're trying to look like one of the kids. But I didn't want something that was like what you would wear to the Oscars, for instance. So I was trying to figure out what would be the right balance to do something like that. But I think for the most part, I've now gotten to the stage of as long as I'm wearing something that fits in with whatever the dress code is of the evening, whether it's cocktail or black tie or casual, I really have gotten to the point where I'm okay with it. I am okay with yeah, it. Yeah, and that's definitely part of that. But that comes with aging, that, too, and, getting older. And it's part of feeling comfortable in your yes. own skin. Yes, yes, yes. And if there's one thing I wish our children I do and too. their friends yes. is to get comfortable in their own skin younger mm-hmm. because I know that was a hard thing for me. Yeah, me too. Uh, I was like, I always had that voice of self-doubt, judging myself, questioning myself. I call it the obnoxious roommate myself. living yes, in my head. Yes. And having that voice get much quieter. <laughs> but what could anybody have told you or told us back then? I think when you're going through it, and especially when you see that you feel competition, and, and we are our own worst critics of other women. I never notice what men wear, but I always notice what other women have on, their shoes or dress or bag, whatever. But what could anybody have told you that would have made you feel better about it? I think two things. One is... Um, Trust life, you know, trust that trust life, life has this amazing imagination and that an amazing journey, an amazing journey. Mm-hmm. And even in the darkest moments, uh, trust um, 
that things are we'll going to change okay. and things will be okay. I do believe that. And, and I think the other thing that's so important is not to look la- at life in terms of competition. Mm-hmm. I love the Barishnikov quote when he said, um, I try to dance not compared to anyone else, but just better than myself each time. Oh, I love that. And I think the idea that it's I like it's that. our own journey. It's our own unique journey. You know, the other thing that I think is so important is that, you know, when you feel good about what you do, you know, I, I've worked with some people that don't want anybody, don't want to work with anybody who they perceive or think is better than they are. And I really do have the opposite view on that. I really want somebody who is as good, if not better than I am, because I think that forces you to raise your game. I think that you can learn. So I'm never threatened if somebody comes in at work and, and you think, oh, my gosh, they're so good or they're so better. I never think that. I just think great. I think that's great because I think if you're on a team and your teammates are good, it only makes you look good too. But I've worked with many people that feel very threatened if someone comes in and perceives he or she to be better at trying to jockey for the job. Because I look at it, it's only one me. There's only one me. And so in the TV business, you know, the muckety mucks get to decide who plays. And if they decide that they want to make a change, there's nothing I can do about that. Nothing I can do about that. And as you know, in this crazy business, sometimes it's not even personal. They've just decided they like uh, X better than Y. And it's not personal. Although when it happens to you, I'm sure it feels very personal. But I try not to consume about self-doubt about what other people are doing. And I think probably that's part of what makes you so warm and intimate with people Mm -hmm. because you open up. You're not afraid of uh, what the other person is doing or saying. No, and I genuinely do like people. I've always been the type of kid, even when I was in elementary school, you know, and you get those notes home from the teacher. And they said, you know, dear Mr. and Mrs. King, Gail is a very bright student and does very well in class, but she tends to talk a lot in class and is disruptive. I've tried talking to her about it, and now I'm bringing it to your attention. You know, and I grew up in a household where, you know, if you get a note home from the teacher, you were in big trouble, big trouble. And we're at a stage where people don't always respect authority figures, but I still have great respect for teachers and adults in general. But I got in big trouble for that and had to apologize to the teacher. I was, you know, punished because of it. And I take that very, very seriously. And you communicated that to your kids because yes. they're so amazing. Well, manners well manners matter. So you once said, actually, that the trait you dislike most in others was a toss-up between mean and petty. Yeah. Which is a pretty good description of what a lot of on life, online life is. Yes. Like. So how do you deal with that? You have a big social media following. How do you deal with any negativity in well, social media? Well, it's interesting because... I don't know about you, but you can get 100 great compliments and you get that one cranky Yankee and that's the one that stands out. Now, what is it about this one person that doesn't know you, that's sitting at home in their underwear, I visualize them, you know, just saying nasty stuff about you? So a couple of times I've actually called these people. We'll look them up online and call them and say, hi, you and Scale King, I got your message. And they go, oh, oh, Gail. Oh, I was just in a bad mood. Oh, you know I really like you. Oh, I'm, I go, nope, that's not what you said. So I'm calling you to have a little chat about that. 
And now I realize you just can't do that. I'm not going to be consumed <laughs> by people that think negatively of you. And I believe, you know, rid all the toxicity and negative people out of your life. So I don't do that as much as I used to. I used to be on the phone or I used to be on the typewriter, uh, on the keyboard, reaching out to these people. And now you just have to let it go. Otherwise, there's always going to be a negative Nancy against you, always. Absolutely. When was the last time you actually reached out to somebody? Um, let's see that. I would say I did that last year. Yeah, and that's it. Hasn't no. been a long time ago. But no more that. in 2018. I did, I did that last year. Just to say, hey, got your message. Oh, I was just in a bad <laughs> mood. You know I love you. I go, not feeling the love. Or people will say something really nasty on Twitter or Instagram, and I'll say, does your mother know you talk like that? Or I guess we're not having lunch. Or thanks for the kind words. This is the thing. This is what the social media does. It allows people to say the most vile, nasty things with no accountability. And there's something wrong about that, that people can say the nastiest, unkind things, and they don't even know you. And they don't even know you. And they have no accountability. And they put it out there for everybody to see. I know that's, that's wrong. Why I'm so opposed to anonymity. You are? Uh, yes. I, I believe that even within HR, uh-huh. our policy is to have a, an anonymous hotline. That's fine. If there is right. something that people really don't want to share in any other way. But when somebody comes to you to complain about but someone some, else yeah. and says, don't I say anything. And say, don't say anything. Yeah. I don't accept that. What do you do? I say, I recommend you go to that person or I can mediate. Uh-huh. And I, and the person I want to run HR in my company or any company with a healthy culture is the person who is not going to encourage anonymity. Mm-hmm. Because you want to have a culture where people are empowered mm-hmm. to express. And expressing isn't always pleasant. No, but quite often if you reveal that you're upset about someone, there are repercussions well, I think that's why you People need to are create, held against you. You need or, to create an environment which is not retaliatory. Okay, okay. Well, you have to let people know. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. I think otherwise you create a very toxic culture. Yep, I agree. Or people will say, don't tell anybody. I said, well, how can we change the situation if I can't tell anybody? Exactly. You know, that there's just no good that comes of that. So, and I think, and I want, I want, especially at this time of the Me Too movement and Time's Up, it's a great moment for young women to feel empowered to speak out and trust. I do think it'll be better for young women. So I much better. Do. I really do. Because also holding on to this anger and resentment about mm-hmm. something that happened for years mm-hmm. is not healthy. Nope. Nope. And I think that they will feel more encouraged to speak out, too. I do like that. Because this is the thing. They'll feel encouraged to speak out and they'll be believed. They'll exactly. be believed. That's the difference. Yeah, there's a couple of times where some people, I think, are capitalizing on it. But for the most part, women are telling the truth. Nobody wants to put themselves out there this way and be exposed this way and, and not be telling the truth about something that's so so sensitive and so demeaning. Right. And also, we're not eliminating due process. Right. right you know, right, the right. accused also right. have the right to right. speak out. That's but it's right. an amazing moment, and mm-hmm. I'm really... So happy we are living through it. I am too. And we can be part of it. I am too. And during that time, you know, you are noticing, and in your interviews and in your friendships, how much more resilient some people are compared to others. Mm -hmm. So what is it, you think, that makes some people resilient, that they can deal with whatever life 
brings their way, whatever challenges, and others crumble at the first obstacle? I don't know the answer to that. I think I know that if you have a good support system, you tend to be more resilient. Um, And I think having a good support system is very important. I can't imagine some of the things women have gone through and they didn't have anybody to tell. I think everybody needs to have a safe place to fall. And I think there's there's something very empowering in being believed and just being believed. I did an interview with, with Dylan Farrow recently, and I was so touched by her because she's been talking about Woody Allen for many years, and no one was really listening to her. And I said to her, Dylan, you know, people say that unlike other stories that we've heard about, whether it's Harvey Weinstein or Kevin Spacey or, you know, you can name the names, in all of those cases, the majority – the majority of those cases, there have been other accusers who have come forward. And so in your particular case, it was just you. And so for some people, they had trouble believing your story. And I thought she was brilliant, Ariana. She said, why is it now that women who make a charge have to be flanked by an army of others? Shouldn't one voice, one voice telling the truth matter? And I thought that was very powerful. And she said, I matter. I matter. And, you know, I say to anybody who has followed her story and, and has followed Woody Allen to read all of the reporting on that story, the, the police report, the hospital report, and draw your own conclusions after reading that. But I was so touched by her. So because I'm the only one speaking out, I'm not to be believed? Well, exactly. So it's, you don't have to be flanked by others. Yes. But as you said, there is corroboration. Yes. Uh, there are yes. police reports. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's not like... You can say anything and it's going to be taken as the gospel truth. That's right. It has to be corroborated. That's right. And, you know, you spoke about the importance of a support system. Mm -hmm. And it's actually wonderful to watch the support system that you and Oprah have. Mm -hmm. You know, this deep friendship where you're in each other's corner and have shared so much together. Always. And uh, it's something which is is truly an amazing friendship lived in the public eye as much, of course, as in your private lives. But I think women understand this in particular, that if you have one good friend, and I say sometimes all you need is one, somebody who you can really trust, who cheers you on, who tells you the truth even when you don't want to hear it, who you know supports you, there's nothing, nothing better than that. You know, Oprah and I have been friends since we were 21 and 22, and now we're 63 and 64. Wow, she's older. (laughs) But I can remember when favorite daughter Kirby was born, who's now 31, and Oprah came to visit, and she had a T-shirt on that says, um, husbands come and go, friends last forever. (laughs) (laughs) Now, at the time, I didn't know that T-shirt was going to be so telling. You know, we just thought it was a big ha, ha, ha. But I look at that, and I say, that's true. You know, if you have a good friend in your life, you really are very blessed. As someone who is divorced, I totally endorse that. (laughs) Yes. But let's say that Oprah was 50-50 about running for president and she came to you for advice. What would you advise her? I I like the sound of President Winfrey. I think she'd be, you know, Donald Trump has changed the game as to how we see presidential candidates. If you would have told me that anybody, Republican or Democrat, could be elected president of the United States with no political experience, I would have said, you're crazy, Ariana Huffington. I just didn't even think that that was possible. And I think that he has opened the door and and has many people thinking about it who would never think about it before. Now, as far as Oprah running, I actually like the, I I think she'd be a great president. 
I think she'd be a great president. The, the thing that gives me pause is I know what it would do to her life. She would be under a microscope, and it's not that she has, you know, secrets because she's told them all, but it would totally upend her life. And I think anybody who's running for president should not have to be convinced to run. You know, it should be something because it's a big, big, big job. It should be a calling on your life. It should be something that you feel passionately about. And while I know that she could do it, I'm not sure. I saw an interview where she said, it's not in my DNA. She had done that interview before the Golden Globe speech. And I think something happened in that Golden Globe speech. It's not like she was trying to run for president or even give a presidential speech. But I thought it went to a whole different level. It did, and it's continuing. And it's continuing. It's continuing. I, I like having the conversation. But I don't see it in the cards for her right now. But I also saw on the Oprah Winfrey show years ago, you always have the right to change your mind. Exactly. And she's always been very much in favor of people changing their yes, minds. Yes. So we are all open to her changing I, her I mind. I just think it's such a big, important moment. But I also think regardless of how this administration turns out, you just want somebody who wants what's best for this country and who's trying to figure out a way to unite us. We're more divided than ever before. And I'm very troubled by that. Thank you, Gail. So thank you, much. Ariana Huffington. This thank was so fun. Thank you for being our guest. And uh, thank you for being the wonderful you so that easy. you are. And to everybody listening, be sure to subscribe to the Thrive Global Podcast with iHeartRadio yes. on your favorite podcast app and stay tuned to thriveglobal.com and iHeartRadio for updates on new episodes. And in the meantime, go to thriveglobal.com for tips to start thriving today. We are grateful to have our friends at Sleep Number sponsoring the Thrive Global podcast. The Sleep Number bed adjusts on each side, so it is perfect for both you and your partner. Experience the Sleep Number bed exclusively at one of their 550 stores nationwide. Check them out at sleepnumber.com slash thrive. Hey guys, it's Bobby Bones. I host The Bobby Bones Show, and I'm pretty much always sleepy because I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. A couple hours later, I get all my friends together, and we get into a room, and we do a radio show. We share our lives, we tell our stories, we try to find as much good in the world as we possibly can, and we look through the news of the day that you'll care about. Also, your favorite country artists are always stopping by to hang out and share their lives and music, too. So wake up with a bunch of my friends on 98.7 WMZQ in Washington, D.C. Or wherever the road takes you on the iHeartRadio app.